Welcome to the teaching hour, everyone, uh, for 10 days. We just began our third day, beloved. Hallelujah. It's moving quickly, and we're getting a sense the Lord's beginning to already take us deeper as we go into this day by day. Uh, we've invited uh, our brother Kevin Jessup to be with us today. Most of you would know him from, from the uh, return organization that he organized that incredible meeting in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago with our brother Jonathan Kahn. And it was truly a, a beautiful One New Man presentation. I've never seen uh, the One New Man presented in such a balanced, healthy way that day. That And that, uh, um, that event was more publicized, I think, than any other event in Christian history, watched by untold millions of people. What you may not know about Kevin, he's also the uh, uh, the founder and president of the GSA, a global strategic alliance. And it has a number of different focuses. The, the, the return um, international is one of them and now being focused uh, in, in the future on return Israel. They also have the Nehemiah project the Joseph Mandate and Kingdom Projects. And uh, brother, I just, I have, uh, Hallie and I have just had the uh, distinct honor in the, the these last six months to really get to know Kevin and his wife Donna really well. And uh, um, it's just a, a, a blessing to introduce you, but also know whenever he puts together an event, he rarely gets to speak uh, himself because he's more concerned about the message of the gospel going out than being known as a teacher or a preacher. But I have to tell you, in his own right, uh, he is just that. So, Kevin, welcome and share with us what's on your heart. And then in the second part of the hour, let's uh, please uh, let's let's go into some prayer points. Hallelujah. Praise God. I uh, <clears throat> I just counted an honor to be here this morning with you, and uh, I thank God for what he's doing in these times. I remember being in Jerusalem several several times, and one of the last times I was at Christ Church with uh, interviewing um, the vicar of Baghdad, Andrew White, our good friend there, and he led me over to the bookstore and introduced me to Benjamin Turkia. Any of you may know Benjamin a wonderful man of God. And um, that was a very special day. And tomorrow morning, I'm flying back to Jerusalem, as you know. So we'll be there for the, the prayer breakfast and we'll be meeting with Rabbi Yehuda Glick. We'll be meeting with uh, Robert Ilatov about some of the things that we've been working on there in, uh, in the Negev on that project and bringing forth the, um, all the people will be meeting with the Messianic uh, people up in the Galilee, and we're we'll, we'll just going to be having a great time uh, uh, traveling through Israel for the next 10 days. And we're watching God do something spectacular when we talk about this veil being lowered. Uh, it, is a, it is the time. We are at the time of the fullness of the Gentiles, I believe. And this is when God begins to work and do things uh, with our Orthodox friends. And we're seeing that now like never before. In fact, the uh, the founder of the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast has asked us to host him here in America, talking about the critical intersection of uh, not only the geopolitics of Israel and America and the nations, but 
uh, what it means for Christians and our Jewish brothers to come together. And so we just thank God for what he's doing here. Uh, and this morning, I just want to talk about some pretty basic things quickly, and then I want to get into uh, uh you know, the four faces and five garments was a teaching of a book that I'm writing. And then lastly, just talk about seeking the face of God as Moses did. So uh, thank you, uh, Grant, so much. I want to start off this morning with the verse from Acts 1.8 that says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, this morning, Father in heaven, I pray mm. that as we come to you today and we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit over all the nations with this latter rain that you've promised, oh God, may you fill your bride with boldness to testify as witnesses to the faithfulness of your name, Lord. And we thank you for it. We thank you that we're beginning to see that happen. Oh, God, and we humble ourselves before your throne today and ask that you fill us full and you pour us out and then you fill us full again. In Jesus' name, Yeshua's name, we thank you for it. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, all of God's appointed times are in Leviticus 23, and we want to restore what was lost in these scriptures and in the church and in Israel as they were separated and each lost something when they went their two separate ways. And so we're here today to celebrate as Messiah and the disciples did as every day had a meaning of what God did in the New Testament. And Grant Berry's Romans 9-11 teachings are, I believe, a key to restoring the one new man. This is why I'm taking all of my staff and Grant and Hallie have been very gracious to teach our whole staff on special nights uh, as we go through the workbook and the books of the one new man, Romans 9-11. And I really believe that God has downloaded this message, this sensitive message into the heart of, of Grant and Hallie. And I would just want to thank them for articulating this in, in the books and the videos and the study guides and then leading the body in a balanced way back to the plumb line of God's word. And so, Grant, thank you. God has his hand upon you for such a time as this, and he's given you this, and I'm so grateful to be aligned with you as I, as I uh, see God working through you and Hallie. So bless you, brother. And Susan, it's so good to see you and so many others of you too. So thank you for this time. You know, the book of Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles. However, it is about the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And in Acts 1.8, this Greek word here for power is dunamis, as you all know. I'm not teaching you anything new here. But it refers to this miraculous power, this ability to perform the inherited power, the power that resides in a thing by the virtue of its nature. And that's the nature of God and the Holy Ghost. So I thank God for the book of Acts. And I just want to read a few scriptures really quickly here to kind of take us through what this, this uh, Acts 1-8 is talking about. So in Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
In Luke 24, 49, it says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I can't wait to go back into the upper room on this Sunday, June the 5th, and just be there where these disciples were gathered, and, and I thank God for it. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind we prove to be among you for your sake. And so we're talking here about John's baptism as we go into uh, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In Luke 4.14, when Jesus was just beginning his ministry, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. Hallelujah. In Acts 13.47, it says, For so the Lord had commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. And in Mark 16, 15, it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And finally, in Colossians 1, if you indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Oh, I thank the Lord for Paul and that that. Uh, mighty uh, road to Damascus experience that he experienced. And I believe we all must have the same type of experience where all the world is burned out of us, where nothing matters except for Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit inhabits his bride, we are going to begin to do great and mighty things that we know not of as the Holy Spirit empowers us with the strength and the understanding and the wisdom and the discernment and the guidance and the comfort and the counsel of God. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. I praise God that he didn't leave us alone, but he gave us a guide. He gave us the paraclete to come and walk alongside of us and empower us. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. For without him, we can do nothing. And without him, we are nothing. And so less of us and more of him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. I think that, uh, dear ones, when we're seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we're going to bring a uh, an event to America at one of the gates of hell that America has, and we are going to plunder hell, and we're going to have a baptism night in the Holy Spirit, and we're going to have a heart transplant in America, and I can't wait for that night as we're planning it now. And it will go, it'll be live streamed all around the country as we go into one of the places in America that needs the light in the middle of the darkness. And we're going to see the heart of God being transplanted. We're going into the gates of hell and we're going to plunder hell and populate heaven in these last days. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he will do it. And so I thank God for those that are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember uh, a, a, Seymour's message back at Azusa Street, he said, do not seek for tongues, but for the promise of the Father, and pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and God will throw in the tongues according to Acts 
And in Acts 2, 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so as we read in Acts 1, 4, and 5, it says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for truly John the Baptist baptized me with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So the promise of the Father was preached unto the disciples by John the Baptist, and Jesus reminded the disciples about this baptism that John had preached to them in Matthew 3.11. John, after warning the Jews and Pharisees against sin and hypocrisy, preached the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And God is sending out his precious ministers to preach repentance to the people and turn them from their sins and cause them to make restitution according to their ability and to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Glory to God. Hallelujah. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20, it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And so I want to just pray real quickly here. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that you hear our cries of repentance today for your church has disobeyed you and we've quenched the Holy Spirit. We've replaced your presence with programs. We have began to worship worship. We have taken the altars and the fear of God out of the church, Lord. So forgive us as we pray and we seek your full measure to be added to us this very day. May you forgive us for quenching the Holy Spirit in your church, Lord God. Oh, Lord. And I'm reminded of this picture of Saul who had lost the anointing and, 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 and yet he was able to keep some people because of his giftings. And we don't need gifted preachers today, folks. We need anointed preachers. You, uh, giftings can bring a blessing. You can draw a large crowd. You can bless people with a song or a poem or a word. But the anointing breaks the yoke and brings deliverance. We need anointing. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Lord, forgive us for quenching your Holy Spirit. And anoint your ministers now. Wake them up in the midnight hours, I pray, and give them an encounter with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with boldness once again, I pray. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Ephesians 4, 30 and 32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Hallelujah. In Acts 6, 6, it says, these uh, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. In 1 Timothy 4, 14, it says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given by you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And finally, in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, it says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. And then the Bible tells us that we must get sanctified through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For he says in John 17, 14 through 19, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You see, God wants his people to be sanctified because as he says it again in Hebrews 13, 12 and 13, he says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Oh, to enter into the sufferings of Christ, my beloved, as, as we as we die of self every day, I thank God for the Holy Spirit that shows me. He shows me the things within myself that I need to cleanse and purify as I consecrate myself unto the Lord Jesus alone. May all the world be burned out. May everything be burned out. Hallelujah. I just want to talk briefly here. Uh, before we we go further about the, the the four faces and the five garments, this is a brief teaching that I'll just touch on today. But the, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so I want to look at a couple of quick scriptures here in Ezekiel one ten. And let me just unpack these four faces and five garments to you very quickly in just a couple of minutes. Ezekiel 1.10 says, As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. And here we see these four faces. And beloved, these four faces are the very attributes and characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's never changed. He's the same then as he is today. And so I praise God for these four faces, these attributes, these characteristics. And as we look at these, at these four faces, we see that Jacob blessed these 12 tribes. Before Jacob passed, as you all know, he, had, he blessed these 12 tribes, the 12 sons, and he gave them their assignments. And he told them, here's who you'll be serving, and here's what you'll be doing. And they each had been given their assignment by their father. And so they, as, as they had these assignments, Moses then took those 12 tribes, as you know, and he aligned them around the tent of meeting. There were 12 tribes. There were three on all four sides. There was a predominant tribe in the middle, and the other two tribes really didn't get along. So they had to learn how to listen to that, that dominant tribe who was kind of a mediator, if you will. So they would all perform their assignments, and they were all aligned properly around the tent of meeting, the presence of God. So when the presence of God was moving, Moses had aligned them properly to complete their assignments. 
And as the, as the presence of God moved, the Levites carried the ark, others carried the poles and the tents and the artifacts, and, and you know what I'm talking about. So let's just get into it here. These 12 tribes all had one banner around each side of the tent of meeting. Those banners were made up of the face of a man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle. These were the characteristics and attributes of our Lord Jesus Christ again, as I repeat. And so today in this Kairos moment of time that God has afforded us, we begin to set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. We don't ask God to bless our plans, but we join him in what he's doing. And so as the men of Issachar, we have to know the times, we have to know the seasons, we have to know the hour that we're in, and God is beginning to move. His Holy Spirit is like a tide, it rolls in and it rolls out, and it's like the wind. In fact, the word kairos means an opportunity in the Latin, and the ancient Greek seamen used that word kairos to know how to ride the wind and the waves to get their ships safely home to port. So today in this season, we too must learn how to ride the wind of the Holy Spirit and the tide as he's coming in and out to get our ships safely home to port. And so in Revelation 4, 7, we see this incredible verse of scripture that John writes as he sees the same exact vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 1.10. In Revelation 4, 7, it says, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Oh, beloved, this again, this is, this is, these are the attributes and characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, as we submit our vessels unto him, he is, as we yield unto him, he is by the refining fire of the Holy Spirit turning us into the very image of Jesus. So let me paint a picture for you in the New Testament. And let's take a look at the New Testament because there are 12 authors in the New Testament. There are four on the first floor, four on the second floor, and four on the third floor. So I see the New Testament as a three-story house. And in between the first story and the second story, there are, there are staircases that take us up to the, the next story. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the foundation of the New Testament, Matthew is written in the theme of the lion. The king, the judge, the Beatitudes, all are in Matthew. We see the attributes of Jesus the lion, the tribe of Judah, in Matthew. In Mark, we see the image of the ox. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus completed everything at the cross. Today, I believe he's doing three things. Number one, he is cleansing his temple just like he did the first time he came. And with this COVID-19, we've seen the cleansing of the temple. We've seen those pastors that have sold out. We've seen those that have shut down their churches. We've seen a cleansing. We've seen those that are bending the other way. And we're seeing the righteous remnant of God beginning to be the light that we need to be in the midst of the darkest hour. The second thing he's doing, allowing his remnant bride to come into the full rest. And that full rest, even from the time of the Israelites to the days of the prophets and the judges, 
Hebrews says there's yet a rest to be entered into. And beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ at this time, he's been waiting since the foundations of the earth to allow his remnant bride to enter into the full measure of his rest. And that rest is based upon the finished work of his shed blood at Calvary and the cross. That's the rest. We, we rest in the finished work. We cannot do anything by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as we move into this, this moment of the ox, we rely only on him. We get in the yoke with him. We don't go before him. We don't fall behind him. We get in lockstep with him, and we walk with him as he guides us and leads us and comforts us and counsels us by his Holy Spirit. We are in lockstep with him. We have no more burdens. And then finally, the last thing that we have, he's infusing his remnant bride with a backbone of titanium with faith. There is no fear, but only faith because we have an eternal perspective, beloved. We don't look at things temporal on this earth. Our life is but a vapor and what we do here is about to be judged. So we only do what the father tells us. We say, oh God, Give us an eternal perspective. May we not, may we lay down all the need for recognition in our churches. May we lay down all of the flesh, anything to do with the flesh, and may we only do what the Father says. In Jesus' name, oh Lord, thank you. I thank God for faith and no fear. We have no fear because we have, you. listen, you can't scare me into heaven. I don't care. I've already died. There's no such thing as a painless Pentecost. You have to go, if you want to have an upper room experience, you have to go into the tomb first and completely die every day and then be resurrected in that resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And we walk in eternal life right now. I don't have to wait to heaven to have my eternal life. I'm walking in it now. Hallelujah. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's resurrected me from the tomb and he lives in me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus, 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 we just need more of you. Hallelujah. So as we see in John, in, in John's vision in Revelation 4, 7, he sees these 24 elders around the throne, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, and he hears the cherubim, and they're saying, Oh, Lord, uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Hallelujah. Uh, Luke is the vision of the man. Luke was just a physician. God was all God, but he was all man. God came in the form of Jesus, made flesh. Satan was never born of a woman, never born of a human. Satan is an alien. That's why he's frustrated as an alpha male. He's always there at the beginning. He's always there in, in, in the Garden of Eden at the beginning. He was there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but he doesn't know the Omega. Jesus alone is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the ending from the beginning. Hallelujah. He can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. And when he does, the enemy is so frustrated because he only knew the Alpha. He never knows how Jesus is going to turn everything into the Omega. Hallelujah. And we're walking into the Omega now into the restitution of all things, into the consummation, as our sister Susan had said. We're walking into the consummation of, of what was meant to be. So as the Holy Spirit is refining us in these images, and finally, John is, is, is the eagle. The book of John is the eagle. 
You know, Isaiah 40, 31 says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And so that word wait in Hebrew means to bind together with the purposes of God. And oh God, today I say, don't bless my plans, but let me bind together with your purposes as I yield my vessel unto you. May you flow through me by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to complete the purposes that you have in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. This three-story house that we see, the foundations are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. Then we have this book called Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is a staircase to the second floor. And here are recorded all the Holy Spirit's actions that he did through the apostles. Hallelujah. And then the second story is the Pauline epistles. Here we see Paul and Timothy and Theophilus and his co-writers. And he's telling us what the church is going to look like. How do we build it? The elders, the deacons. We see all of the how the church is to operate on this second story. And then we have another staircase going from the second story of the Pauline epistles called the book of Hebrews. It's not called the book of Christians. It's called the book of Hebrews. And here we see the patriarchs and the walk of faith. And that leads us to the, the third story of the house, which are the revelatory books where we end up with John and in Revelation 4-7 talking about these, these characteristics of Jesus, these attributes. And so uh, we, we see these four faces. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to create in us the image of those four faces of Christ, we are all on a journey. And let me just talk briefly real quick about the five garments of Joseph, because Joseph was the most written about individual in the Bible other than Jesus. And the story of his life is a parallel. Many of you know what I'm saying, but just quickly, I'll walk through it. And there's so much more depth into this book and this study. But Joseph's life was a parallel of Jesus's life. He was an archetype of the Lord. And so he had five garments. And here they are very quickly. Number one, he had the garment that was very priestly and prophetic, the coat of many colors that his father gave him. And, he, and, and it was so priestly and so prophetic that when he began to share the visions, his brother just hated him for it. And you know the story. They shed the blood on that coat and they sold him out and they betrayed him. And uh, that was the first garment. The second garment that Joseph had was the one that he left behind at Potiphar's house when he was wrongly accused. And how many of us in the body have been wrongly accused? How many of us have been on this same journey? The third garment that he wore was the one that he wore in prison when he interpreted other men's dreams, but his own went un unclaimed. And even the interpretation of those dreams were prophetic about Jesus, the bread maker and the wine taster. He said to the bread maker, you will be released, but you will die and hang on a tree. And the very bread of heaven, the manna from heaven that came down, was crucified and hung on a tree. And yet he told the wine taster, you will go back to the palace and you will deliver the new wine. And that, too, was representative of Jesus as he went back to the Father. And when he ascended and he left a gate open, the Holy Spirit descended and he served us the new wine, the covenant. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God that he left and sent the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Lord. And so we see this, this uh, incredible vision of Joseph having been in prison with these two 
these two dreams and this garment that he had to wear. The fourth garment was a garment that he put on. Only he wore it for an hour to go give a word of wisdom to Pharaoh. And we know what that word was. And God gave him favor. And finally, the fifth garment that he wore was the garment that he wore when he ruled and reigned. And he went to his brothers and he said, oh, bring down father. And I'm sure they said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, that's when he revealed himself. And he said, what you meant for bad, God meant for good. And there's that alpha and the omega again. The omega turned the whole thing around. And he said, what you meant for bad, God meant for good. I am your brother. I am Joseph. But that's okay because I'm here with my love and compassion and forgiveness. And I forgive you. Bring father down. We're going to live in this last five years of this uh, of this famine like, like men in Goshen with, with God's provision. And so it will be once again when Jesus returns. He will, with his love and compassion and forgiveness and long-suffering, he will see his very brothers restored. And we are on the verge of that happening so soon, so soon. It's a glorious time. It's a glorious day. So these four faces and these five garments, we all are in process of being reflected into the image of Jesus through the fire of his Holy Spirit. And he does it at the pace that we allow him to do it. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will only do what we allow him to do. And the more I allow him to do, the more I say, oh, Lord, bring your fruits so that you can commune with me. Allow your word to come in me. You know, the word is a four-course meal. It is milk, it's bread, it's meat and honey. And when we digest it and it takes root, then the fruits of the spirit start to come forth. And that's what Jesus wants to eat when he comes to dine with us. And so I thank God for his word. And I thank God that as we allow the Holy Spirit to reflect us into his image, the fruits of the spirit come forth and we can commune with the bridegroom. And folks, in this hour, in this day, it is so crucially important that we allow the Holy Spirit to have full measure within our lives, that we're turned into the very image of Jesus. So when we see him, we'll know him because we'll be like him. Hallelujah. Praise God. And as we are in the transition from the church age into the millennial age, we're in that journey. And, and the days of Genesis 47 verses 13 through 25 of Joseph and the famines, it's coming around again. It's hard to believe, but 70% of uh, the fruits and vegetables that are going into Europe come from Israel, and yet they have boycotts. And so they're biting the very hand that feeds them. Could it be that Israel will once again meet the needs of the world in these last hours? Could it be that as we join together as the one new man, the most glorious revival of old? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for letting us live in this hour. May we yield ourselves unto you so that you can complete, complete this restitution. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Finally, in Psalm 91, this divine protection that we talk about in the shadow of his wings. And I just want to touch briefly. I think I have just a couple of minutes left here. And I want to talk about this because it's so crucial because it's you know, the Bible is cyclic in its nature, and it just kind of repeats itself. And I believe we're once again at that moment where Moses was back in the day. And, and let me explain. And, and 
in Exodus 33:11, Moses was on the mountain and he's there 40 days in the presence of God. And the Lord says, oh, my anger waxes hot because those people down in the valley, they have they have uh, corrupted themselves. And I want you to go down there and fix it. I'm sure Moses will say, what, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden. As he comes down from the mountain, he sees these people in a naked delirium dancing around this golden calf. And, and, and he talks to Aaron and he says, what happened? What have you done? And Aaron says, oh, I just threw the gold in and out came this calf. And, and he had compromised. It only took 40 days for Moses to be gone on the mountain for the people to begin to have an issue. And so here he was. And at this moment in Exodus 33, 11, he says, oh, God, he says, show me who you are. I need to know who you are, because right now I have a dilemma. I have a crisis. I have an issue. I don't know whether you're going to kill us or whether you're going to save us. And I don't know which one you are. So please show me who you are. Show me your glory. And in that one moment, this is where we find Jesus telling Moses, get a new set of tablets because you broke the first set on the way down. And I want you to come back up to this rock. And there's a cleft in the rock, and I'm going to hide you there, and I'm going to cover your face with my hand, and I'm going to pass by you. And when he does this, he says, I am the Lord God, full of long suffering and mercy and graciousness, even for the saving of thousands. That means for all the generations. And Moses, in that one moment, hidden in the cleft of the rock, he sees the heart of God. And it says, it says, uh, uh, in, in, in Exodus 33, 23, I think it says there somewhere, it says, no man shall see my face and live. So did Moses really have a face-to-face -face with God or did he not? But the Hebrew scriptures say that he had a deeper revelation. He had a greater insight. So when Moses was going back up with a new set of tablets and he's hidden in the cleft of the rock and God passes by him, he sees everything. He sees Genesis to Revelation. He sees the living son of God, the incarnate son, the lamb yet to be slain for the sins of the world. Before it ever happened, God reveals the plan to Moses. And in Exodus 34, 5, he comes out of that cleft in the rock and he says, oh, God, forgive me for now I know you. Now I know who you are. He had the revelation of Jesus. And the second time he comes down, he doesn't come down with a broken law that kills he comes down with the grace and mercy of a heavenly father. And he leads the people out as God relents. And the, the message is, folks, we can walk with God for 40 years and we can still find sin in the camp. And what the Lord is telling us, when you find sin in the camp, don't hesitate. There's a place you can go to. There's a rock that you can run to and stand on. There's a cleft that you can hide in. And that cleft is Jesus. You know, one of my favorite verses of scripture is in the New Testament. And let me just read it to you very quickly. It's in 1 Corinthians 10.1. And this is what brings our Jewish brothers and our Christian people today together. Because in 1 Corinthians 10.1, here's what it says. And this is, this is why we both serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the same God. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 says, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, 
and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moses was hidden in the bosom of God, and the cleft of the rock is his son, Jesus. When we have sin, when we, when the Holy Spirit reveals sin in our lives, and I ask him to do it for me every day, I run to the rock, I hide in the cleft, and I say, oh, Jesus, sanctify me with your precious blood, cleanse me and make me anew. Oh, hallelujah. And finally, in verse 11, First Corinthians 10, it says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Oh, hallelujah. We are there once again, for we have our churches filled with golden calves. We have people dancing in a naked delirium. We have compromised the word of God. And oh, Lord, today. I pray once again that you would forgive us for quenching your Holy Spirit, that you would, you would cleanse us once again by your grace, Lord. May we enter into that cleansing of your blood so that we can receive your Holy Spirit who will come to live within our clean vessels, Lord, for you are so holy, and we wish and pray to be holy to stand in your presence, filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, to be your witnesses in these last days, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that on our journey, you would take these garments that we have and that you would cleanse them as white linen, Lord, for your marriage. The whole word of God is about a father seeking a worthy bride for his son. And today we ask you, Father, Cleanse us, purify us, sanctify us, set us apart for your son. May we anticipate as we look, may we be watching, waiting, and ready, clothed in his image, in fine garments for this wedding day. Oh, God, may we be the light in the darkness, filled with the resurrection power of your Holy Spirit. May we bring light to the darkness of our day. And may you work through this. May you use us for the power of your name, Yeshua. I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for that time today. Grant, Barry, Hallie, thank you so much, all of you. I'm so grateful to be part of this body as God is using us and refining us into his image so that he can use us, he completes his work in us, and then he completes his work through us. And what a joy and honor it is to glorify his name. 